My wife and I, Vicki and I, are so very thankful to be with you this evening and to worship the Lord together. Uh, we're always so very thrilled to meet fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, hope afterward to be able to shake the hands of some of you that I was not able to speak with beforehand, and perhaps we will see one another again uh, at a future time. But it's been a, a blessed Lord's Day, uh, first at Heritage Reformed Church this morning and now at Harvest OPC, and I wish to thank the session for the opportunity of opening the Word of God to this precious flock. If you will, turn in your copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. We will read together the first four verses, and please keep your Bibles open as you will need them as we progress through this passage of Holy Scripture. But before we read, will you bow with me in prayer? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we pour our souls out before thee in prayer, asking that the word of the Lord that will be opened this evening will penetrate every heart, including the minister of the word, perhaps even most importantly, the minister of the word. We pray for all, each person here, every age group, but especially these precious young people who are here, because this text can be particularly and peculiarly applicable to the young. I know that this congregation will, will join with me in prayer for that massive revival that is so needed in our country and in the West. But Heavenly Father, as we pray for that powerful movement of the Holy Spirit, we know that one of the evidences of that powerful work of the Spirit of God will be a deeper holiness of life and a walk that is more faithful and consistent and serious about the things of God. And so we ask that as we now open the inerrant Word of God, that the Holy Spirit who has inspired this Word will now illumine the page, illumine our hearts and our minds to receive it. And we pray that there will be many who will grow in grace and who will be more greatly conformed to the image of thy Son, having heard the exposition of the Scripture tonight than they were before having heard it. But we also ask that those among us who may be lost, even though Christians are primarily addressed this evening from this text, if there are those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that the Holy Spirit will work regenerating grace and bring them into vital union saving union with the only Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And these things we pray in the name of the only mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, this is the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." People of God, the New Testament stresses, and Paul in particular, that the Christian life is life in union with Christ. When Christ died, we died in him as our representative. When Christ rose, we rose in him. 
Our lives, therefore, are to be lived out of that union that we now have with the risen Jesus Christ. Now, there are many ways to understand union with Christ, many biblical analogies, but probably the best is the analogy of marriage, biblically understood. A man and a woman are united in holy matrimony. They remain distinct, and yet, the Bible says they become one. She takes her husband's name. Her husband will protect, love, and nourish her. She will honor and obey him. The two are one in blessings, one in trials, one in purpose, and now one in heart. What is legally his is now hers. What is hers is his. That helps us to understand Paul's stress on union with Christ in this passage. The Christ that Paul preached is the Savior with whom believers live in union. We are legally and vitally united to Christ, just as in marriage, the husband and wife are legally and vitally united. Now, earlier in Colossians, Paul the Apostle is taught that believers died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, worldly, fleshly philosophy and living. In these verses, Paul now stresses the positive side, that we have died, but also we live with the risen and ascended Christ. And so as we come to the text, the very first thing that we want to see, this is first, is life in Christ is resurrection and ascension life. And you see it here in the first part of verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If then you have been raised with Christ, an heir is passive in the Greek, the point being it points to the reality of our co-resurrection with the risen Lord. Now, one of the great commentaries on the book of Colossians was written by a 19th century English New Testament scholar whose name was J.B. Lightfoot. Lightfoot speaks of the concave and the convex of a circle. The negative side, the death and the burial, implies the positive side, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So, in union with Christ, to reference an old writer, we are now on the other side of the grave and are walking in the heavenlies with Christ. Now, that's so fundamental and so important that I want to repeat it to you. In union with Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, you already are walking on the other side of the grave and you are walking in the heavenlies with Christ. Do you know that this is one of the necessary planks of our assurance of faith? Uh, where the resurrection of our Savior is placed in the shadow, said Adolphe Manot, the assurance of our salvation is as well. God's promise that determines life is linked inseparably with the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I add, an assured and vigorous Christian walk is weak when we do not contemplate ourselves as risen in union with Jesus Christ. Now, do you understand this? Is this vague to you when we talk about union with Christ and what it means for your Christian walk? It is for many Christians. 
You hear the minister saying, union with Christ is essential. Union with Christ is vital. You must walk out of the fullness of your union with Jesus Christ. But do you understand what that means? You have been raised with Christ. Christian living is all about the resurrection. There is here an absolute declaration, a statement of an accomplished fact. The defining reality of your Christian life is the resurrection. Christian, you are united with the risen Lord, and therefore your life is determined by this union. But it still may be vague to you. So let's return, if we may, to that analogy of marriage, which illustrates this. When a woman is married to her husband, the bride is now in union with her husband. This is the new and determinative reality of her life. There was a ceremony of union. Well, wouldn't it be ridiculous for the bride to say, this has nothing to do with my life. This has nothing to do with me, no effect on my life whatsoever. No, this union from now on affects everything. Life can never be the same for this bride. And so our union with Christ was accomplished in his death and resurrection. We are in union with the risen Christ, and this union affects everything, not a select few things, uh, not uh, just this and that, but it affects everything, every detail of your Christian life. The call for the wife is to realize in concrete ways, to realize and show her union with her husband in everyday life. She must learn to live out of that union. And so in the Christian life, Paul's call here is to realize your resurrection life, to learn how to live out of union with Christ every day in every way. Well, the wonderful thing about this passage is that it begins with union with Christ, but the Apostle Paul does not leave it in any, in any vagueness for us. He goes on to tell us how to do this. And so the second thing that we see in the text that will help us to flesh this out is that we are to seek Christ above. We are to seek Christ above. Look at verse 1 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's your union, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so the apostle is saying, lift your eyes by faith, Christian, to where Christ is seated, Christ's session at the right hand of God. There is your Lord in the place of power, in the place of honor, in the place of sovereignty. Now, comparing Scripture with Scripture, the book of Hebrews helps us here and expands on this very idea. Hebrews, in chapter 1, verse 3, tells us that after he had purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What is he doing there? He is appearing in God's presence in our stead as our representative. He exhibits an accomplished and complete sacrifice for our sins. Hence, we cannot perish. He is interceding for you on the basis of his blood and merit. This enables parental pardon, 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He is protecting you from temptation and sin. He is progressively sanctifying your Christian walk. 
He is maintaining our communion with God. He makes our service acceptable. He even presents our prayers in perfection to the Father so that when you pray in ways that perhaps are sincere, but nonetheless not in accord precisely with what God would have to accomplish through prayer, he takes your prayer and he wraps it, as it were, in his own merit and presents it to his Father so that your prayer will be perfectly heard and perfectly answered. Now, does this help you to see, to understand what it means to seek Christ above, to seek things above, to be like a needle of a compass that seeks a pole, always seeking Christ who is above? Again, Lightfoot said, all your aims must center in heaven, where reigns the Christ who has thus exalted you, enthroned on God's right hand. You know, people of God, this is your great privilege. You are in, use, in union with the risen and ascended Christ. You are now privileged to draw upon that union, to walk in that union, to seek this great high priest that is at the right hand of God. And we just don't live out of our privileges as believers, do we? I want to ask this question of you, and perhaps you can answer it as we move along. Will you make a commitment on the basis of the exposition of this text tonight? Will you make a commitment and say, I will begin to dwell on my privileges in Jesus Christ. I will begin with all of my heart to seek heavenly things and for the rest of my life live according to the call of this text and this sermon preached this evening. But Paul says more to help us to know how to live out of the fullness of our union with Christ. And so the third thing we see in the text is that you are to set your minds on things above. It seems that the apostle Paul becomes even more concrete about this matter as we move along. You are to set your minds on things above, and we read that in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your minds on the heavenly world, not things that are on the earth. It's a present tense, and that means we are to keep on thinking. If you lived in Saudi Arabia, you would not deny that you live there. But as a citizen of this country, probably you would long to be home. Your hometown, your associations would fill your mind. Well, so here, we do not deny that we live in this present evil age, but in a far deeper and more profound sense, we live in the age to come. Our real home fills our minds and begins to determine our living. I'm going to live as a citizen of this country. Within my heart, I'm going to live, and as far as is possible in Saudi Arabia, I'm going to live as a citizen of the United States. So in a very wonderful and great way, we in this present evil age are called to live as those who are citizens of another country. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. Let me put it this way. If you can just use your imagination for a moment and assume that you died and were buried and that then you were vivified and came to life again. If that happened in your life, 
you would be rather glad. And you would not keep your minds on coffins and putrefying corpses anymore, would you? Well, that's what's happened to you. You are now risen in union with Jesus Christ. Why then do we keep our minds on coffins and putrefying corpses when we have been raised to newness of life in Jesus? Now, Christian, don't miss that Paul is saying in this passage that you and I are responsible for what we think. Resurrection life brings with it incredible blessing and also brings with it real obligation. The real battle for us Christians is in our minds. It's what we think. Now, keeping your finger here, all of you know the passage of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, but turn there, if you will, and read it again with your own eyes and understanding this evening. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So that we may be reminded of this truth. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The apostle says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, pressed into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so when the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 says that you are to seek out heavenly things, fill your mind with heavenly things, present tense, habitually, he is saying to us, it is heavenly mindedness that makes you earthly good. It is heavenly mindedness that will help you to function as you are called to as a Christian in this present evil age. You know the statement, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good? Well, let me assure you, there is no such person. The truly heavenly-minded person is the one with the most sense in earthly things. Uh, he's the caring person, the loving person, the servants in this world that are risen in Christ. The people that preach the gospel or the people who give to the poor or visit the sick or who use their business acumen to serve for the extension of the kingdom, all because they are heavenly-minded not despite their heavenly mindedness. Look at Paul himself and the impact of his life, even to this day, because he was thoroughly heavenly minded. Heavenly minded people started our great universities. Heavenly minded people started our hospitals and our historic charities. But this also applies to self-made religion which was the theme of the preceding chapter in the book of Colossians. Those are particularly things on this earth that Paul dealt with that entangle. Well, let me ask you the question. What are the things in your life that particularly entangle you? As believers, we are responsible for our thoughts. And more and more, since we are in union with Christ, we actually, through the Holy Spirit's work, through the Word of God, can learn to think Christ-exalting thoughts as the norm. And then you will find, in a very good way, 
that the thought will be the father of your deeds. But again, what entangles you? Let me give some examples of what I mean. Perhaps there is someone here, perhaps some ones here, and you have fallen into the sin of viewing pornography. You may be born again. You may be a genuine Christian. You hate that sin. You despise it. But you have allowed that to captivate your thoughts. You have sought it rather than seeking Christ. What's the answer to this? Well, of course, there's much to be said, but the bottom line is what we find right here in this passage. Leave those things and replace those things with heavenly mindedness. Yes, it will be a fight. Yes, it will be a battle. The Christian life is a battle. Or let me give another example. Perhaps depression dominates your life. Now, depression can have many causes in a fallen world, sometimes physiological, and for that the scriptures would call you to seek for medical help. But that's not what I mean. Often depression in a believer is due to the way he thinks, to the direction of his thought life. The answer, turn your thoughts heavenward. That's what the text says. Or perhaps you're a person who is overwhelmed by the news. You know what I mean by the news, the things that you may, you may hear on the major news networks. You know, the news really doesn't know the news. It doesn't know the good news. It doesn't have any concept of how God and his sovereign providence is working out his purpose through these things that they announce on their broadcasts. But I've had people within my own congregation come to me and say, Pastor, I'm so fearful because of the things I see on the news. What is the answer? Your Savior reigns in mediatorial sovereignty, this text and others teach. You need, and I, to turn our thoughts to Christ, to seek Him, and to think biblical thoughts. Is your mind determined by the reality of the sovereign Jesus Christ who rules and reigns on his throne rather than those things that autonomously and sinfully are viewed by men who have no view of who God is and his providence in this world? Or perhaps you are relatively joyless as a Christian. You go along in this world and you're joyless as a Christian. How can I focus on Christ above and not know joy within my heart? The problem with joyless Christianity is in large measure that our minds are in the wrong place. Now, I could give other examples, but there are as many examples of how we need to apply this text as there are Christians here this evening. And so I'm asking you, calling upon you, to apply this to your case. Dying with Christ and living in union with Christ is also the power of the new direction of Christian living, the new mind with its accompanying actions. There is no other power for living than that which comes from our union with the risen, ascended Christ, whom we are to seek and upon whom we are to fix our thought lives. John Owen put it this way, 
were our affections filled, taken up, and possessed with these things as it is our duty that they should be. It is our happiness when they are. What access could sin with its painted pleasures, with its sugared poison, with its envenomed baits, have unto our souls? Owen says in another place, fill your heart with the cross of Christ, and when you do, there will be no room for sin. His point here, fill your thought life with your risen, ascended, regnant Lord, and there will be no room for sin. But let me tell you what the problem really is for a lot of Christians in relation to these things. You say, Pastor, I'm constantly trying to think on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am exposing my life to the means of grace. Well, it's going to get very cold here in winter. An illustration I heard somewhere that I'm, I'm making use of, don't know from whom, but it's going to get very cold in here in winter. We'll think of you when we're in Florida in January. But as you get cold, you'll be driving down the road and you're trying to stay warm. You turn on the heater in your car. But imagine that you are trying to keep yourself warm, but you're cold because you've rolled the window down. That's the way it is with many of our Christian lives. Yeah, we're going to church, we're praying, we're reading our Bibles, we're attending worship, but at the same time, we've left the window open to all kinds of influences that negate the influence of the warm air that would keep you actually warm. Do you see the point? Examine yourselves in light of this text. Am I really seeking Christ? Am I really thinking upon the one who is on the throne? Is my mind really drawing upon my union with Jesus Christ? Or am I living and toying with the gospel by keeping the window rolled down? Well, will you apply these truths to your lives? But then we see a fourth thing in this text, the hidden source of holy living. The hidden source of holy living. Do you want a holy life? Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In Christ, you died once for all to the world. You have a source for Christian living that the world cannot see. It is hidden to the world. It cannot know. It cannot understand because they are dead in trespasses and sins. We are secure as we await his coming even though the world has no idea that we have a hidden source for living. The world sees the effects, but it knows nothing of the communion with God out of which the effects of Christian living comes. But you do, Christian. And I wonder, are you drawing upon this hidden life of communion with Jesus Christ in whom you died to the world and in whom you live to God? Because if you are drawing upon communion with Christ, your union with your risen Lord, it will show. How will it show? Well, look at this passage, Colossians, and begin reading at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it will show if you are drawing upon your union and communion with Christ in these very ways that he unpacks right after verses 1 through 4 in verses 5 through 17. This demonstrates that you are drawing upon union with Christ, that you are dead and therefore you put to death the deeds of the flesh, and that you are alive and therefore you are vivified in your Christian walk. Do you see the connection? In him we live and therefore we live resurrection life. Consider the various ways the scripture helps us to think about this privilege. We are married to the prince who reigns. We are now nobility by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are partakers of all of his benefits. We are co-heirs with Christ, the risen, exalted Lord, Romans 8, 17. Have you ever even begun to say to yourself, I am in Christ I died in him. I rose in Christ. I have the privilege of communion with Christ. Therefore, I will not grovel in the philosophy and viewpoint of the world. God forbid, let me live as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Who is the ascended Christ with whom I'm united? Well, let me read something to you. J.B. Lightfoot, I've mentioned before in his great commentary, one of the values of that great commentary are the paraphrases that he has, the expanded translations of various passages in Colossians. And you may wish to turn back to chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, because I want you to see who this Christ is, who is able to so fill your mind and fill your heart and fill your life that it begins to control how you think and how you act. This is Lightfoot's expanded paraphrase of verses 15 through 17. Listen to it and worship. He is the perfect image, the visible representation of the unseen God. 
He is the firstborn, the absolute heir of the Father, begotten before the ages, the Lord of the universe by virtue of primogenitor, and by virtue also of creative agency. For in and through him the whole world was created, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible to the outward eye, and things cognizable by the inward perception. His supremacy is absolute and universal. All powers in heaven and earth are subject to him. This subjection extends even to the most exalted and most potent of angelic beings, whether they be called thrones or dominations or princedoms or powers or whatever title of dignity men may confer upon them. Yes, he is first and he is last. Through him, as the mediatorial word, the universe has been created. And unto him, as the final goal, it is tending. In him is no before or after. He is pre-existent and self-existent before all worlds. And in him, as the binding and sustaining power, universal nature coheres and consists. That is who your Savior is. You may draw upon this Lord in your Christian life. So let's return to your thought life for a moment. Do you see how all of this applies to the mind? We have said that the battle is in the mind. The text makes it plain. We are to seek Christ and we are to think upon our risen, ascended Lord. We must put our minds on the exalted Christ. Well, that means some movies should not be watched. That's rolling down the window. Some books should not be read. A.T. Robertson once said, there are bad smells in every city, but only one with depraved nostrils seeks them out and revels in them like a sewer rat or a hyena. Some modern novelists call this realism and thus justify the slime that they parade to the public. There are some things that if you're going to walk faithfully to Jesus Christ, you must learn to avoid. But it's more than what you avoid. Are you positively seeking Christ and seeking those things that help you to focus upon Jesus Christ? Are our minds on Christ? Do we live in eternal realities and with a future focus? Because our affections must be Christward. And He is worthy of your deepest affections. Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision. Literally, don't plan to satisfy the flesh with its desires. Our minds tend to make plans for fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Now, Christian, this is something you need to be aware of. Before a suicide or a sexual fall, usually there's a mind at work that thinks out the plan to accomplish these things. A mind filled with fantasy or with self-pity or with rationalization or with rebellion in stages gradually leading to sin. 
we open our hearts to wrong habits of thought over time when your thought life is not brought under Christ's lordship and you have an undisciplined mind then the thought is the father of the deed indeed rather than this communion with Christ is the Christian desire the answer mind renewal according to this text Let's look at another passage. Go to the book of Philippians, just turn back one in chapter four, and see how the Apostle Paul addresses mind renewal in this passage. Now remember, he is uh, under arrest as he writes this, and yet he rejoices in Christ because his mind is fixed on Jesus. And in chapter four, the Apostle Paul says in verse four, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, you see it, your minds, in Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying, I'm denying that I'm under arrest. I'm denying that I'm going through hardship. He's saying, as I go through hardship, I'm telling you what I have learned, how to apply my mind to Christ and the cause of God, loving his truth so that there is transformation. But you see, he doesn't stop there. In verse 8, he goes on and focuses more upon the mind. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, that's the mind, think about these things. The Apostle Paul is telling us as Christians to be radical about where we place our minds and about our thought life, real, prayerful, determined, spirit-filled effort to think differently and to develop new habits of thought, a renewed mind. The mind can never be left empty. Either we think righteously and we plan accordingly, or we think unrighteously and plan accordingly. The Christian mind must be set on things above. As a man thinks, so is he. And let me say, young people, you need to address this in your life now because it is a habit by the work of the Spirit in your life that needs to be, to be developed now while you are young. It requires discipline. Don't think of sanctification as simply sitting back and it's going to happen. Yes, God is sovereign in your sanctification. But where there is regenerating grace, there will be effort to follow Christ, effort to obey his word. There will be a fight to follow Jesus. The Christian mind must be set on things that are above. So let me say to you young people who are here, Learn to have a disciplined mind. Read. Read your Bible. Young people, life without the Word of God is absurd. 
Learn then to read the Scriptures. Learn also to read great materials, classic Christian literature. Learn to love it. Don't reach for that superficial thing from the shelf or some film that is going to, to tear your mind out of heaven. But learn to love the old, proven truths of our confession of faith. Another thing you can do, young people, is learn how to listen to sermons. Learn how to listen to your pastor when he preaches. Go to sermon audio and ask your pastor or elders, who are some faithful men to whom I can begin to listen? Rather than using your time, idling it away, if there's any expression I really despise that I hear young people use, and they used it in my day when I was the age of some young people as well, is killing time. Killing time? Your life is made up of time. Your life doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Your mind belongs to Him. And so the text is telling you to live accordingly. And what peace there is in Christ-centered living. Again, the French Reformed author Adolphe Manot said, there is no peace for the man who takes his point of departure from within himself. There is no peace for the man who takes his point of departure from within himself. And indeed, let the trajectory of our lives be set by union with our Lord. Let us not be preoccupied with petty things but learn to be preoccupied with the great, the grand, the true, the glorious, with Jesus Christ who sits upon the throne and Jesus Christ who is coming again. And the Apostle Paul leads us there, the hidden communion with God will not be hidden forever. So the fifth point, the hope of Christ coming. The hope of Christ's coming, it is found here in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, this is clearly a reference to the return of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is, is called our life. Don't miss that. When Christ, who is our life, appears, personalize it. Christ is my whole life when Christ, who is our life, appears. Christ, our life that sums up the matter for the Christian walk and experience, doesn't it? Again, Owen the Puritan said, if he be our life, we have nothing that belongs thereunto that is nothing of grace or holiness, but what is derived unto us by him. His point, he is the source, he is the font the sustenance of all that we could want or desire. Love Him. And we do not know when Christ will come, but the Scriptures would have us to live in light of it. Calvin rightly says that every generation of believers should live thinking that in their generation the Lord may return. Our life will not always have a hidden quality. One with Christ in his death, one with Christ in his resurrection. Are we not now seated in the heavenly places in Christ? Do we not now walk on the other side of the grave? So also, we will be in union with him at his coming. 
the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ, the dead in union with Christ shall rise. Revelation 19, the armies of heaven will follow him when he returns. Now back in Lakeland, Florida at Covenant Presbyterian Church, we end our worship services after the benediction. We always end with the words, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And periodically I have to remind the people, let's not say these words aimlessly. Let's long for his coming, as Paul teaches we should. And let us also allow that, that future to determine how we think, act, and live. If with the Holy Spirit's almighty assistance we trained our minds to think heavenward, to seek things above, and to focus on Christ on the throne and Christ coming again, do you not think that your life would be different? Do you not think that we would be more joyful, careful, and useful as Christians? Your union with Jesus Christ is indissoluble, and it determines us in every way. Outwardly, we look like other men and women. Inwardly, we are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God and are eagerly awaiting the blessed hope, the coming of Christ, who is our life. Paul says we are hidden in Christ. And surely there's a connection with chapter 2, verse 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When Christ is manifest before a watching world, we too shall be manifest. The certain day is coming when Christ, who is our very life, will be manifested to the universe, to this watching world, and we will be manifested with him, publicly vindicated before a watching universe. I long for that day. I hope you do. If we did long for that day, how might it influence our thoughts and choices day by day and moment by moment? It is always possible, even though I have focused on preaching to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is always possible that even in a Sunday evening service such as this one, there is someone here, and the reason you do not live a godly life is because you are an ungodly person. The reason you do not have affection for Christ is because you do not know Him. Uh, the reason that your mind is not set upon Christ is not because you are weakened as a Christian in a weakened state or condition or backslidden, it's because you're lost and you are undone. You do not long for the return of Christ because any thought of the return of Christ reminds you that He will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. The Bible calls you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. May God the Holy Spirit enable someone here tonight. May He grant you saving faith that you may trust in the only Redeemer of God's elect, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is no hope without Him, no salvation without Him. The people of God take seriously this passage. Go home, read it again. Think through these points. Let us see holiness of life grow and develop in the Christian church once again. God tells us in His Word 
how to grow in communion with him. And I hope that you will long for his coming. And Lord, haste the day when the fate shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? Can you say, as we sing, even so, it is well with my soul. May the Lord add his blessing to the exposition of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that this passage will give to us such an exultant view of who the regnant Christ is, ruling, reigning, the scepter swaying in his hand over the entire universe, that we will long to seek this almighty and powerful mediatorial Lord. And that, Heavenly Father, as we do so, we would long for holiness of life, to live lives in accord with those things that are true and right and good. May the Holy Spirit accomplish within our hearts and within our lives the ongoing renewal of our minds as Christians. And I pray especially for these Christian young people, dear, precious Christian young people who may have a long life ahead of them if that is thy design for them. And I pray that not one of them will turn a deaf ear to what was preached this evening, but will begin to, first of all, ask themselves questions about this text, apply it to their hearts, know and love and serve Jesus Christ, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of their minds. Give to the youth of this church deep conviction about the truth as it is in Jesus, and help them, Lord, to live out of the fullness of the work of the Spirit of God. And these things we ask and pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord, our beautiful, lovely, all-powerful Savior. Amen.